right, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here. Just want to welcome you guys into this space. You know, you've already kind of gotten a, a pretty good glimpse of who we are and what we're about, and we say this every week just to kind of help you feel comfortable being here. We don't know all of your stories. We don't know where you came from or how you ended up here, and those things really don't matter. We just believe that God has something that he's going to do in these next few minutes that maybe would cause some curiosity or questions, and so we are a community of imperfect people. But we believe it doesn't end there, that we are loved by, we serve a perfect God who is moving us in a direction that will help each of us become more fully devoted to Jesus. And so part of that movement are things that you've already experienced this morning. You know, worshiping together. Part of that movement is the opportunity to give. Part of that movement is, is communing together as a community of imperfect people. And then there's a couple other ways that that movement toward becoming fully devoted also uh, displays itself. One is in way of connection. We want you to connect to people because we believe when you connect to people who are striving for a deeper relationship with God, then, then you kind of move with a crowd. Guys, we were never created to do life alone. We were created for community. We were created to connect on some level. So let me give you a couple of big ways that are coming up this month that you can connect. Number one, we want you to connect in a house group. That starts next Sunday, and they meet on all different nights of the week. My group meets on Tuesday. Um, and, and so there's a way for you to connect to a smaller group of people. Sometimes Sunday, we're in, we're out. It's a bigger crowd, and you don't always get to connect at a, at a real personal level. Well, house groups are your way to do that. And so if you are new or you don't have a house group, you don't like your old house group and want a new house group, we won't tell anybody. Just go to Next Steps, or you can fill out one of those welcome home cards or find a group card and just say, hey, I'm interested in a house group, and Leanne and her crew, who does such a good job connecting people, uh, will get you signed up for one of those and locate the perfect place for you. Uh, also, you can connect if you're new and you say, hey, I've been here for a few weeks, maybe a couple months. We do this every other month, what's called Open House, and it's an opportunity for you to come and get to know what it means to partner with. We don't have members. Country Club, have they have members. We have partners. We believe we're partnering with God. We're partnering with each other, but we want to invite you, if you haven't been through Open House and are ready to kind of hear more about what it means to partner, come and be a part of that. It's on September 17th. We're going to feed you dinner, and we'll keep you about an hour, so it's really in and out, and uh, we'll get, you'll get to meet our leadership. You'll get to hear a little bit about expectations. We believe that relationships are best when we clearly communicate expectations for each other and with each other, and so we'll do that. And then one final thing as far as a connection point is calling all men. Curtis Wasmer has put together a kayak trip, and uh, that's going to be on September 15th. And so if you would like to go kayaking or canoeing, you can canoe. Uh, we would love for you to be a part of that. Just go to Next Steps and sign up there, and he'll get in touch with you with all of the details that's going to go along with that on September 15th. Now, there's another way, and the other way, kind of partnering with giving, that we want to help you move is we want to see you involved in serving. Uh, we've said from the beginning, you know, Gary and I reflecting on the, on the three and a half or four years, one of the things that we wanted to do was we wanted to create an environment where everyone was a contributor, not a consumer. And so the way we do that is we try to uh, encourage you, sometimes we even organize things to encourage you to get out there and serve. We love when you do it individually and as a family, and then there's times we do it collectively. So let me tell you about two things that you can kind of connect with and, and serve. On uh, September 8th, which is this coming Saturday, we're going to be 
setting up actually right in front of the new offices that we hope will be open in the next couple weeks. But we're going to be setting up a booth there for the Salty Dog Festival, which is Goodlettsville's largest festival. And we're going to hand out free water. That's all we're going to do. We're not going to like hand out propaganda. We're just going to come and just hand out free water. It's hot water. No one should ever have to pay two bucks for a water. So just take ours free. And so in order to make that happen, we need about 20 people. And uh, you just need to sign up for a two-hour shift. You can go 10 to, to noon, noon to 2, two to four, but just, uh, again, go see Leanne if you want to help uh, in that next uh, Saturday. And then one big, big opportunity that I wish was on a Saturday, but it's not. It's on a Wednesday, September 26th. Kaboom, which is a playground building extravaganza, we'll say. I don't really know what word to put there. They're going to be building a playground. There is zero playground there today. So if you go and look at this park today, there is no playground, but it is in much need of a playground. It's a community park that's in a little bit lower income area in our city that's just uh, just a little bit south of here. And they are going to start on that morning at 8 a.m. And by 2 o'clock, I love this, by 3 o'clock, they're going to be kids playing in this playground. At 2 o'clock, we're going to celebrate and pray over the playground. But we're going to be helping in that build. And so we are just excited. They need about 100 volunteers. So if you can get away on a Wednesday and help, we would love to have you do that. Uh, We'll put a link out there. You do have to register for that. But again, just another opportunity for us to get out there and say, hey, we love this community. And there's no strings attached to any of that. We just love. We love to be generous in our time, our resources. Uh, We are just here for you in a big way. So um, that's Wellhouse, and we would love for you to be a part of any and all of that. We're going to wrap up our series today called Eats with Sinners. I think you guys will be excited about how we're going to uh, end this series. I, at least I hope you are. Jesus is excited about it, so uh, hopefully you'll join in with his excitement as well. So let's pray, and we'll get going. Father, this morning, I'm so thankful to be a part of your body. I'm thankful that we get to, to serve and minister and give and love through this this body called the church. And so, Father, I just pray that as we come more and more in tune with who you are and who you've created us to be and what you've done for us and what you're continuing to do, that, God, we will begin to look outside of ourselves, outside of our even our, our circles that we naturally create, and we will begin to see the world as you see the world. We'll begin to see who it is that might not be exactly where they were intended to be. And God, how you're going to use us to shape and mold their story. God, may we become people who are fully in tune with not just being a follower of you, but what that's meant for us and how it is that we, again, can get people into and around the table that you are hosting. So, Father, may we create these places where we eat with sinners. Father, I'm so grateful that we've been able to kind of tear through this book of Luke and find these unique, but yet so genuine stories of how your love and grace was never meant to be contained in a room on Sundays, but God, it was meant to to, to flow out into the streets and change the worlds and and the community and neighborhoods in which we live. So Father, we just pray that, again, as we wrap this up, that we will see a need to celebrate. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. You know, you can tell a lot about a person by what it is they celebrate. And what I have found is that people celebrate a lot of different and sometimes really weird things. Check this picture out. This is a a little festival called Tinku. And it is in the uh, place uh, called Bolivia. And, And if you don't know what's going on here, that's not a dance. 
Here's what these people do. They celebrate Tenku, and the full name of the festival is this, Tenku Punch Your Neighbor Festival. So the reason they do this is they believe that in order to celebrate the harvest, but also to prepare for the next harvest so that the next harvest would be plentiful, that blood must be shed. And so the easiest way to do that is get the town together and you punch your neighbor. So when the nose starts to bleed, they celebrate and they know that that is partially in thankfulness for the, 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 the harvest that was, but also God, there God, will you please give us the next harvest? Now, some of you would like to celebrate with a punch your neighbor festival, but it has nothing to do with a harvest, right? And so it's weird, but this is what they celebrate. Now, before we get off and say, well, that's really crazy, guys, there's crazy people in Tennessee that celebrate some pretty crazy things too. I don't know if you recognize this. This is Tattoo Mitch, and he is a real live person that lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and he celebrated the 2017 AFC Championship by putting that on his arm. Anybody remember this? I don't either because we didn't win the AFC in 2017. And so it was one of those moments in his trying to celebrate in his crazy weird way, he decided that he would do this. Well, we didn't win the 2017 AFC championship, so he went back and had it fixed to the 2018. Anybody remember that? Nope, because we didn't win the AFC championship in 2018. Now, I don't know how you turn an 18 into a 19 because we are going to win the 19 AFC South. But that's crazy, right? I've seen this guy in person, and that's just the beginning. It's, it's, it's just crazy, but it's his way to celebrate his team. I've been a part of some pretty cool celebrations myself. We went down to New Orleans in 2012, and if you have never seen your team, I'm talking about the team that runs deep. For a lot of you, it's Vols, or maybe it's, it's Alabama, or for you know, whatever that team is, the Braves. If you've never seen your team in person, win a national championship, the highest level, or the world championship, or a Super Bowl, if you've never been in a stadium when that happens, it is amazing. It's one of, the, one of the greatest moments that Lori and I have got to share together. It's like wedding and then like right, I mean, it's like right here. And, um, but let me tell you, in the moment, I didn't celebrate how I thought I would celebrate. It was almost like, and, and show this next, it was almost like my wife captured this picture. This is my friend Todd and I. I didn't know what to do with it. It was like surreal. Now, when we got out on the streets of New Orleans, they knew what to do with it, right? If you've been to New Orleans, you know how that goes. It was an absolute blue mist party like I've never been a part of in my life. But we celebrate some really weird things. But how we celebrate tells us a lot about who we are. You also have to remember this, that sometimes we celebrate things that don't seem like big deals to the world, but they're big deals to us. This last Tuesday, my house was lit, I'm going to tell you. Tuesday, my little dog, Joey, turned one, and we had a throwdown. <laughs> Consisted of a party hat and a sweet potato bone, and it was amazing, okay? But we celebrate some really weird things, and here's the point of it all. The point is this, what we celebrate reveals what we really love, but it also reveals who we really are. Let me say that again. You're going to hear that several times this morning. What we celebrate reveals what we really love and who we really are. And guys, I don't know if you know this about Jesus, but Jesus was a celebrator. 
You know, sometimes we have this picture of Jesus as being this stern, solemn, you know, the room tightens up when he walked in. But I'm going to tell you guys, Jesus, if you begin to unfold the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we see is that Jesus loved to celebrate his first miracle when he turned that water to wine was all to keep the party going. It was about keeping the celebration moving. And what I begin to do is I, is I key in on Jesus and I begin to see what is it that really caused him to celebrate? What were these moments that, that just joy came flowing out and all of a sudden a party broke out? Here's what I see every single time is that Jesus loved to celebrate people. His celebrations centered around people, especially people whose lives had been changed. When lives had been moved, and as lives were moving from their current situation to a better one, Jesus told people, he encouraged people, and he participated in celebrating those moments. And so what better way to wind down a series where we have talked about what does it mean to interact with people? What does it mean to, to exchange in our community these stories and exchange life, what better way than to let's invite people, let's participate, let's host parties. If you haven't been here, I just want to give you a real quick recap of where we, we've gone, and you can kind of go back and listen to the whole series if you want. But over the past several weeks, our goal was this. We wanted to go on a journey, and we primarily used Luke to do this. But we wanted to go on a journey where we began to see people like Jesus sees people. And in doing so, how it is that we're called to interact like Jesus did with our current community. And so that was the goal. And we said, okay, what does it look like then to begin to eat with sinners? Even those parts that we don't like, that we're really kind of hesitant, or maybe the parts that don't like us. We said, you know, but we're still called to communicate. We're still called to participate. That not participating in this was not an option. And the reason it's not an option, if you get to Luke 19, it says that Jesus' entire purpose of coming was to seek and save lost people. Now, we use that word lost, but, and we kind of tighten up. Is that like PC? Can we call people lost? But when we've begun to unfold the, the real meaning of this, week one, when we said that what we understand is this, that the word lost just simply implies that they are not where they should be or intended to be or created to be at the current moment. That lost means that they're not in the most healthy place. They're not in the best place where they can begin to live life to its fullest and experience these things. And, and we said that lost never equaled lost cause. See, calling and, and, and kind of putting out there that there are lost people has nothing to do with value. You or I being lost, meaning we're not where we were intended to be at the current moment, has nothing to do with our value. We also said that lost has nothing to do with your worth or being worthy of pursuit. In fact, here's what we see. We've seen over the last several weeks that Jesus goes out of his way again and again and again and again, not to just find them, but when he finds them, what does he do? He invites them in. People love to be around Jesus, and Jesus loved to be around people, some really questionable people. So it wasn't that he just found them, scolded them, and said, you need to get your life together. No, he invited them. He welcomed them into, get this, into a full-blown friendship. 
a full-blown relationship. And so, in fact, we go again, we watch him do this again and again. And in that lies the goal for you and I. I want to be an individual, and I want to encourage you as individuals and as families and as house groups and as this community known as Wellhouse. I want to encourage you to engage the world. Engage your friends, engage your workplaces, engage your neighborhoods, and engage our community like Jesus did. So we're going to end kind of where we started in Luke chapter 15. We opened this up week one, and we really just kind of covered the first two verses. But what we see is this, is that the religious leaders were completely beside themselves. They were completely out of their mind, offended, hurt, just appalled at this, that Jesus was eating And it goes on to say, and welcoming sinners. These were people that they spent so much time trying to cut out. And all of a sudden they see Jesus who was considered a teacher, a rabbi. They didn't know it at the moment, but this perhaps Messiah. They see him letting people in that they had spent so much time trying to keep out. And the reason that we discovered is the same reason that keeps us from being effective sometimes. What we discovered, the reason that they were all so bent out of shape about it is this. They forgot where they came from. They missed the mark by forgetting that people miss the mark. And so before we take our first step toward impacting and influencing people, we have to have this moment where we look in the mirror and we realize where we've come from and what God has done in the process. And not just what God has done, but what God is going to continue to do. I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to need God to do something today on my behalf because I'm going to do something wrong. I'm going to have a bad attitude. I'm going to be taking a nap, and Lori's going to decide that's the best time to run the vacuum cleaner, and I'm not going to think very good thoughts about it. But I'm going to do something where I'm going to need God to step in on my behalf today. And I've got to remember those moments. And so when I begin to interact with people, I've got to remember where I've come from and that if he can do this in my life, he can do it in their life. And then once we begin to understand that, here's what happens. We then now have a foundation that we can begin to build toward, work toward, or strive toward, shoot for, being real and genuine with people. And we said that takes integrity. That what you do, not just publicly, but privately, matters. That really it begins and ends with integrity, meaning that I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be real and I'm going to be genuine, not just in the public places, but in those private spaces. Again, perfection is never the goal. We know that we can't get there, but realness is the goal. And we said, kind of coupled with that, that God values a good heart more than he values a good performance. And guys, what I've found is that that, in and of itself, will remove a lot of major obstacles that people have in finding Jesus, finding value in church and community. When we begin to strive for this element of integrity in our own lives, all of a sudden people will begin to go, okay, you're not perfect, and I can deal with that. There's, this guy's real. And so we said that once we kind of get that set up, that then we begin to remove other obstacles in people's lives to make Jesus fully accessible. We said that we, we want to become the type of people that make him 
and his message and his church completely irresistible. And in doing so, we, we may have to let go of some things. We may have to straighten up our Facebook and our social media accounts. We may have to, you know, straighten up our expectations when people come to church. And we may have to kind of get some things in order here. But it's all about removing obstacles so that people can get to Jesus, the conversation, his message of love and hope, and, and see that his church, yes, it can be imperfect, but it's still a community that is so much needed. And it's our responsibility to begin to move some of those kinds of things. And here's what that means. It means that each of us are going to build larger tables, not taller fences. That we're going to build tables in such a way, and we use table to kind of represent space and this admittance into space. We're going to build tables that always has a chair open for somebody looking. Somebody who needs, who is wanting to connect, wanting community, wanting to know that I'm not alone in this. I don't have to live isolated. There is always a chair at my table. And guess what? When it fails, I'm going to build a bigger table, not a taller fence. Because when we separate ourselves from people, you can't influence people. Guys, it's impossible to influence someone that you've completely isolated and separate. So we're going to build bigger tables. And then we settle in. And we, we say, you know what, we're going to play the long game. We're, we're here to make long-term investments. I love what Gary said. You know, it's been about four years, and we hope it's 104 years. And you know what, we're in it for the long game. We're willing to make long-term investments instead of looking for immediate return. We said we're going to give to our community, not exchange See, we get in these modes where we want to exchange. We're going to do this for you in exchange for. No, we're just going to give, and we're going to continue to give and give and give because we believe that those are investments. Those are seeds that God will grow in his time. And so sometimes those investments are going to be energy. Sometimes it's going to be resources. And sometimes it's just going to require my life. And even if it needs to and has to trickle into some really tough areas, we talked around week seven about what does it mean to love tough, hard-to-love people? People that are even enemies of not just me personally, but maybe enemies of God. How do I, what's my responsibility in that? And a lot of times, we discovered in this story of the Good Samaritan, as it's known, we asked the wrong question. We asked the question, who's my neighbor? And I think Jesus comes by and he says, let's ask another question. What if we begin to ask the question, what kind of neighbor are you? What kind of neighbor are you called to be? Don't worry about who's on the list in the neighborhood. Worry about regardless of who the neighbor is, what kind of neighbor are you? And then finally last week we said that all of this comes down to this. It comes down to vision. We read the story of Zacchaeus. Luke 19, where Jesus got to his spot, Zacchaeus' spot, and he looked up. And so we encouraged everyone last week, I want you to find spots where lost people are, where lonely people are, where some are friends, some may not be friends, but find those spots and begin to look up. We said that last week, there's so many times with this message of Jesus, that we limit ourselves not because of our abilities, but we limit ourselves because of our vision. We don't see people. We see what we want to see and what we expect to see. And Jesus says, begin to look for things that you don't expect. And so here we are today, and I love where this thing lands.
I love where this thing ends. So here we are, back to where we started, Luke 15. See, we didn't get to the end of Luke 15 because I wanted to wait and save it for, for, for this moment. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, he says, you know what? Do you not know that, I mean, your, 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 your Jesus, your teacher, eats and welcomes sinners? And so what we're going to talk about for the next just few minutes is how is it that Jesus responds to this? And Jesus responds to their accusations with three stories. There are three stories about three lost things, and they're all lost because of different reasons. Things that were not where they were supposed to be intended to be. And here's what he says. All of them were missed. So he tells a story about a sheep. It was lost because of its own foolishness. I don't know if you know this or not, but sheep are not very smart. There's been documented cases where if one sheep goes off of a ledge, guess what? Ten more are going to go off that same ledge to their own death. Sheep are not very smart. And so Jesus tells this parable not so much about a shepherd who had lost a sheep, but more about a sheep who had lost its shepherd. And guys, let's face it. Sometimes we get lost because we are not very smart. Kind of reminds me, several years ago, uh, Grauman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood did the premiere. If you remember the first big premiere of Star Wars, Star Wars Episode Three, anybody remember this? There were 11 people. Some as far as Australia, that 46 or 47 days prior to the opening, began to, to tent camp out in front of the theater, hoping to get into the premiere. Now, here's the best part. Guys, 11 people went 47 days before they realized they were lined up at the wrong theater. That the premiere was actually set to be at Arclight Cinemas on Sunset Boulevard. Guys, we do stupid things. I do. And I wonder sometimes how many times we wander foolishly into the wrong theater line. We get in these moments where, you know, I, I, I don't know how I got here even, but here I am. I just foolishly kind of followed along. But I love how Jesus comes looking anyway, and I love how Jesus describes the moment when the sheep was found. Look at this. Look in verse 5, and when he finds it, the sheep, he joyfully, underline that, puts it on his shoulders. Guys, there's something so key about that. He didn't shamefully march it back to the fold. He joyfully put it on. He didn't even make it walk back. Joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and when he gets home, he calls his friends, his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. He threw a party. Celebration was the response. Why? Because of what we celebrate reveals what we love. Then he tells a story about a coin. And see, unlike the sheep, the coin was lost because of neglect. See, the coin didn't lose itself. The owner, for whatever reason, was neglectful. I don't know. Maybe she forgot where she put it. Maybe she was absent-minded at the moment. Or maybe like me. She was just distracted and put it down somewhere. Whatever the circumstance was, she had lost this coin, and the coin was valuable to her. The coin was valuable for her living, her necessities. And I don't know if it was intentionally lost, unintentionally lost. She had misplaced the coin. And there are moments in my life where I get distracted and unintentionally, neglectfully, find myself in lost situations. But again, I love how Jesus describes the moment when it's found. Look at this. She's tore the house apart. In verse 9, when she finds it, 
She calls her friends and her neighbors together. Now get this. They come together. She's like, hey, I'm hosting a party. Rejoice with me because I have found my coin again. Look at the joy. Celebration is the response because what we celebrate reveals what we love. And then he concludes. Again, remember all of this is in response to the accusation that your master eats and welcomes sinners. He says, let me make it personal. Let me give it a human element. He tells a story of a son. And unlike the sheep who was foolish, and unlike the coin that was neglectful, the son is lost because of flat-out, straight-up rebellion. He knew what he was walking into, or better yet, he knew what he was walking away from. But he walked anyway. And what I love about this story is that that did not keep the father from looking for him. You know, you kind of understand the sheep. I mean, he has a responsibility to the fold, and he's like, you know, sheep are stupid. Like, poor thing, you know, southern, bless his heart. I got to go find it. The coin, you're like, okay, this is on me. I I lost this. But there's no reason in this story that the father should have done anything. He made his bed, right? But it doesn't keep the father from looking for him. And when he returns, when he sees him from a distance, it says that he even ran. I wish we had time to open this story up. But he runs to him. And I bet you can already guess how Jesus describes the moment. Look at this. Look at verse 23 and 24. The father says, bring the fatted calf. The calf that would have been preserved. It would have been put away for a a, a, a top-notch, top-shelf moment. He says, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's throw a party and look at this and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. And after I read these three stories, and I began to look at these in my human element, I noticed that something was missing. At least the way I typically might approach certain lost things and situations. Notice that all three stories... Jesus was not concerned how they got lost. See, we want to sometimes justify the moment by saying, well, look how they got there. I mean, I don't need to go out of my way. I mean, they're the one who did it. I mean, it's her fault she lost it. I mean, why would I celebrate her neglectfulness? But in all three stories, Jesus was not concerned how they got there. He was not concerned with the circumstances surrounding their current situation. He was concerned about making sure that missing things got found, and when they were returned, a big deal was made about it. And so I began to look and unfold not just these three stories, but I began to unfold Jesus. And what I see is that he's not so much concerned with how you got there. I think of the woman caught in adultery. He wasn't concerned how she got there. He was concerned with where she was going. I think of, again, the woman at the well. He wasn't so much concerned how he got there as he was concerned with where she was going. And guys, I could rattle off story, interaction after interaction, where the response is joy, a party, because what we celebrate reveals what we love, and Jesus loved to celebrate people. 
And by the way, this was never about sheep and coins. If we read verse 7, we read verse 10. He says, in the same way. And then he goes on to describe people. I'm not going to read them. And then verse 10, look at this. In the same way, I tell you, that there's rejoicing in heaven. There's parties in heaven when people come home, when people are found, when they are returned to where they are intended to be in the first place. And that's what matters to Jesus. And if that's what matters to Jesus, then I have no choice to participate as a follower of Jesus in what matters to him. We have to learn to party. And what I love about Wellhouse, my wife actually wore this shirt this morning, one of the first shirts we ever created some three and a half years ago. It just said, we like to party. And the reason that we love to party is because we love to celebrate when people take steps. We love to celebrate when people are moving not to a place of perfection, but in their imperfection, realize that God still places great value on them. And when they begin to move, we celebrate with people. And we remember every single week when we get together as a staff, we remember that what we celebrate reveals what we really love and who we really are. And here's the sobering part of this. Guys, it is sobering and humbling but exciting to think that God wants and will use me and you if we let him to be a part of someone's story. That celebrating at someone else's celebration is all a part of what God wants to do with us. As I kind of land this this morning, I've told people who are bored, maybe you just kind of feel stuck, you feel motionless in your walk with Jesus and church and bored with your faith walk. Here's what I always tell people. It's like, man, I just, I don't know, it just feels kind of stale. I'm in a dry season. Here's what I tell people. Start walking like Jesus. Walk where Jesus walked and walk with who Jesus walked with. And in that, you will find all the excitement you can handle. By the way, just on a side note, I believe that if Jesus had been born, I don't know if the disciples would have ever followed him and the Pharisees sure wouldn't have wanted to kill him. There was something that was exciting, joyful, and celebratory about Jesus. And so what I'm telling you is this, just start eating with sinners. Start getting messy in some pretty messy places, and don't be afraid to get messy in some pretty messy relationships. Start walking along someone, not as if you've got it together, but you remember where you came from. Start walking with someone that's just in need of a friend, need of help, need of a mentor. Be Jesus, and I can only hope that the world will look at me and say, that guy eats and welcomes sinners. It will be the highest compliment that my life will ever get. Stand with me. As we end this morning, I just want to ask you what we ask a lot, and that is this. What's your next step? We're never going to rush your step. We're never going to assume your step here at Wellhouse because we respect the fact that your step is your step. I don't have an outline of 12 things, and if you'll do these 12 things, then you know what? You'll be in good standing with God. No, your step is your step. And so what is your next step? For you, maybe that next step is just being found. You feel lost. 
Maybe you haven't started that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're just beginning to learn what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus, and we would love to talk to you about that. There are people that are back there at the red banner. Some of those are Gary and Melissa and our other shepherds and, and others who, who know and, and, and would love to tell you the story and tell you what it means for you to be found. And maybe baptism is your next step. I don't know what that is, but whatever your next step is, I want you to know that we're here. Maybe for you it's, it's just about your personal spiritual journey. Like, you know, I'm in that place where it just kind of feels fragmented and tired and I just got to get focused. Maybe your next step is to get active. Been warm in the chair for a while. And again, we, we've, we've set up an environment, a, a culture that you can, you can warm the chair as you want to, as long as you want to, but we believe that real life, real growth is going to happen when you become active. And so get involved in something. Get involved in that house group. And I know it can be nerve-wracking to get to know new people, and, and, or maybe it's coming out and serving. But get active. But maybe for you this week, it's just evaluating who it is that you eat with. And so I'm going to take a step and eat with somebody. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a way to invite them into the party. See, we knew this was going to be challenging. We, we anticipated this moment where we kind of got to the end and went, okay, this is going to require some courage in some new areas. This is going to require some, some even, even a, a next step. Man, I'm afraid to take that next step. And so next week, we're going to start a new series called Jump. And we intentionally partnered with this, not with just our house groups, but because we are standing now at the ledge where we've got to take that next step. We've got to, to jump And for some of us, that's going to require great faith, greater faith than you think you have, or maybe courage that you don't think you have. So guys, I can't wait to get back here next week. Get in that group and get ready for jump. Check this out.